to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life podcast. Guys, I tried to say it without crying. We come to this table... Uh, humble and grieved and sad, um, but expectant because we're ready to have a conversation that we know the Lord has asked us to do and we want to be faithful to him. And so I'm Julie Graham. (laughs) And I'm Darlene Brock, the non-crier who's probably going to cry during this (laughs) one. Um, We've had a bit of, not a bit, a lot of hurt among our Grit and Grace family. And we want to address the source of that hurt, to actually venture into conversations that are difficult, and to accept, address and accept reality as it is, and find a way for us to change it. So we have asked Dr. Zoe to join us and have a conversation about this very difficult season of the racial challenges that Julie and I don't really, really understand because we are two blonde white girls, but we care about, we really do. And we want to understand better. We want to hear it. We want to address it and we want to stand up for it. So we've invited Zoe to come and join us to help us, to help us understand and to help us do that. Well, thank you. So I'm the brown, uh, black-haired girl, in case you guys haven't figured that out. And, you know, I, I just have to say, I've never come to a podcast with the feelings that I have right now. There's just a little bit of nerves and a lot of emotion, and I'm so thankful that you guys are willing to sit down and have this conversation. Can I just say, I, I mean, I, I don't know how to say how thankful um, first I am just for who you are in my life and um, who you've been at Grit and Grace and the fact that you are willing to come and join us on this show um, means more than I can, can communicate. And so I just want you to, to know that and to hear that and for our friends to hear that because the truth is, is we've had some hard conversations off mic <laughs> um, <laughs> over the last few days. Um, and there was, there was part of me that wondered if we would be able to sit at the table together again. And so the fact that you're here um, speaks volumes of your own grit and grace. So thank you for that. Thank you. I feel the same way about you, Julie. Let me start here, Zoe. Um, You know, I I guess I'm going to throw little bits here and there of my life, which is nothing to what other people are. But there was... For me, there was one time when I was driving through Kentucky with a member of the band DC Talk, and he was, you know, he he was the black member of DC Talk, and the poor guy had to go to the bathroom, okay? So we pull into the rural gas station there and walk in, and I'm buying everything, and he's running to the restroom, and I realize every man in that building is looking at him and then me as if they're going to harm us, as if Mm. they do not like us, as if they want to, um, at the very least, get get us out of their building 
or, you know, we look like prey. We look like someone that they want to attack. And so the minute Michael gets out, I'm like, Michael, go to the car, go to the car, go to the car, go to the car, go to the car. And he's like, dar. I'm like, no, go to the car. I'm paying. We're going to the car. He goes, fine. He goes out and he's calm. And I go, Michael, those people were not liking us. And he's like, I'm going to walk in there and put my arm around you. And I'm like, oh, no, please, Michael, don't. And I realized then that his attitude toward this was different than mine because Uh I had not experienced it in the way he had. And it was part of his life. It was part of every day of his life. Yes. You know, and I, I was terrified and he was ready to fight. Mm-hmm. That's something I, until that time, I didn't even see. I didn't even understand that my world really was so different than his and it was his every day. So can you help us understand that better? Yes, I, I can do my best to help you understand it better. What I get is that from a white person's perspective, just like you said, you don't see it. And when you don't see it, you don't believe it. You don't want to believe it. Mm -hmm. You don't see it in yourself and you don't see it outside. But it happens. And when your black friend or your person of color friend mentions it to you or says something and you explain it away and you say, oh no, I'm sure they didn't mean that. Or, oh no, I'm sure that didn't happen. Or all the grander explaining away of, you know, they resisted arrest or this happened. That is a gaslighting that happens to black people. And we have been gaslighted for centuries. And so we don't speak mostly because we have no tangible proof most of the time but we experience it day in and day out. And I can tell you so many stories and I am a privileged black woman. So let's just make that clear. I have my own privilege. I come from affluence. I, I, should, I, I know that I experience so much less than most black people in this country. And yet even I still do. I can tell you from my history, my experience with Christianity was I grew up in an all-white community, rural, outside of Washington, D.C. area. We went to an all-white church. My pastor didn't believe in the mixing of races. The man who taught me about Jesus' love Mm -hmm. taught me that somehow we still were not equal. That is how I learned about Christ. And... You can imagine what that does to a psyche of a little black girl. Now, in some ways, I I sometimes think it's amazing that I'm a Christian to this day. But even still, I had that deep knowing that he was wrong. My parents did tell me he's wrong. They told me our job is to teach him that that's not true. Our job is to show him that we are equal. I don't think that was the best choice on my parents' part to put such a big burden on us as children. They were adults and they could handle it much better. I can tell you that now that pastor, who my parents still, my mom, my dad's deceased, attend his church, he doesn't feel that way anymore. But it was at my expense. So that is how I grew up. I grew up as the exception, right? I grew up in a society where I was always looked at 
and singled out. And so, and, and I, I'm not different in that way because so many black people experience that. But what I can tell you is that just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I, as a black woman, have been pulled over going into my gated community and ask, do I live here? I have to prove that I live here because a police officer saw a black woman even you know, just coming into my own community. My husband was in Beverly Hills one day, years ago, early in our marriage. He was stopped at a stoplight and police came up to him and ripped him out of his car, threw him on the ground, twisted his arm and broke it before they even figured out who he was. They thought, apparently there, a robbery had happened in Beverly Hills. A black man was the suspect and he fit the criteria because he was a black man. They didn't even look him in his face. Once they figured out who my husband was, he's an actor, they apologized, right? They took him to the hospital. They knew that they had done something and Unfortunately, well, I should say fortunately, my husband, and in their defense, we sued them. We hired Johnny Cochran before his death and sued him, and they quickly paid us off, right? Because that one, they couldn't explain away. There were no cameras, but my husband was a known person in society. Um, the reality is, is that if my husband weren't, if they had not looked at his face and recognized him, I don't know how that would have ended because their defense was, well, he resisted arrest. That's why we were so brutal. Reality is when someone twists your back and punches you in the face, your body's natural response is to put up your hands, is to, is, is to move. Mm -hmm. It is very hard to lay still when someone's doing that to you. Mm -hmm. My husband didn't even know what was happening to him. So I'll tell you one more thing, just as what it's like to be a black person in this society. My son is 19 years old. He goes to an all-white private college. He's had his freshman year. He was only there for a semester and a half because of COVID. He's back home, or he, he came back home. And that time, he's been called out. Police have come up to him five times because he was in a black, a white neighborhood because he was in the park and people called, there's a black guy here, he looks suspicious. My son has become friends with the main police officer that I guess paroles that area. One of the times another police officer showed, showed up and started to get rough with my son. The other police officer showed up and said, oh, we know who he is. He goes to college here, go back to campus, Kai. These are the experiences of black people in this society, even now today in 2020. It's very real. You know, in preparing for this conversation, I decided to do a lot of reading, a lot of looking at um, black pastors that I respect and what are they saying? Because when I, let me start here. When I hear about your pastor in a white church, Yes. Truthfully, I just want to slap him down because of anything, of anything we as children of God should realize is we are one humanity. Right. We are children of one God, one one body with beauty in our differences, in 
unbelievable beauty in how he created us, but we're one and we need to realize that and treasure each other. But in that, there was something that I read that T.D. Jakes had written that floored me. And that was that he was comparing the arrest of George Floyd to that of Dylan Roof. Mm-hmm. When Dylan Roof, who had killed nine black congregants in their church, white boy, when he was arrested before they took him to jail, they took him to Burger King to get a sandwich. Yeah. Okay. That, that like slapped me up the side of the head and said, okay, that's not right. There, there should be no inequality in justice. You mm-hmm. should not treat one demographic, one race, different than you treat another. In, I mean, he had just murdered nine people. He didn't try to forge a check. Okay. Right. So, right. you know, I, I'm like, this is, this is messed up. Okay. I may not experience it, but I can sit back and go, everything about that is wrong. Everything about it is wrong. And I no longer want to sit on the sidelines. So what do we do? Real quick. Can I just real quick say, Zoe, just hearing those stories about your husband and your son, um, I just want to say, I'm sorry that you've experienced that. Thank you. Um, and, and then if this whole episode is about understanding, I want to know, how does it feel when I say that? Does that feel um, trite or does it matter? Like, I need to know if, if I should say that or if that makes you uncomfortable. It doesn't at all make me uncomfortable that you say sorry. But in, in some ways, I don't want to just hear a sorry. I want to hear that this is your problem too. Not, I'm sorry that you have to deal with this, but I am enraged that this exists in our society and I want to do something. My friend Rosie, and then I'm going to address what you said, Darlene. My friend Rosie, who's a black woman, she was telling me about a good friend of hers named Melanie. And we were talking about the differences and responses of our white friends. And Rosie was talking about, you know, people who call her up and say, I'm sorry, I'm praying for you. And her friend Melanie called her up and said, hey, girl, what's going on? How are you? And Rosie's like, I'm thinking about going to a protest. And she said, what time? Let's go. I'm there. And she went right down with her. Peaceful protesting, of course. But there's a difference between I'm here. This is our thing. We're in this together versus I'm sorry you're dealing with this. This is not a black issue. This is a countrywide issue. And everyone needs to feel the same way. George Floyd is not my relative. He's not my friend. I don't know who he is. He is just a man who was brutally murdered in the street. And so the way I feel about it shouldn't be any different than the way you feel about it. So you don't really need to apologize to me about what happened to George Floyd or all those other people. You just need to feel the same way and react in the same way that I do. But still, I, I appreciate the apology. It's just that there has to be more than that. Does that make sense, Julie? Absolutely. You're, you're completely right. And I, and I feel like that's kind of, to be honest, that's a shift that has happened in my heart, um, you know, in the last week of like, I've known this is wrong, but have I said that it's wrong? Have I, 
have I made it clear that I believe it's wrong? And I don't know that I have. And that is wrong. And I have to own that personally. And then I have to take a stand and, you know, and educate myself on how to be an active um, participant in being the change. Right. Yes. Yes. So to address what you said, Darlene, first of all, I don't believe it was a forged check. It was counterfeit money. It was a $20 counterfeit bill. But the reason why that means so much to me is because my sister and I used to have a consignment business. And we would have these sales and we would make tons of money, right? And so I'd take my multiple thousands of dollars to the bank. Well, one day I took my money in my blue bag to the bank and I deposited money and all of a sudden, People from the back of the bank came up to me. They took me into the back of the bank and they said, you're depositing counterfeit money. They had to make an FBI um, report. I had to explain to them where this money came from. Now, obviously I'm a businesswoman. I have a business account there. They understood what happened. Somebody gave me a counterfeit dollar bill or 20, whatever it was. But if on the way to that bank, I had stopped at a store and I just pulled $20 out of my, you know, thing and gone to make a, to buy something, buy a drink, whatever, I would have been giving somebody else a $20 counterfeit bill. I am not in any way excusing him. I don't know if he did it on purpose or not. That's for somebody else to decide, but to automatically decide that now he's a criminal, to automatically charge him and kill him in the street is just unacceptable. So, I just had to say that. Another thing, when T.D. Jakes was talking about that, uh, the difference between George Floyd and Dylan Roof that mm-hmm. also really impacted me was the statement that he said, I am not, as a black man, asking not to be arrested for doing right. something wrong. What I yeah. am asking is not to be tried and convicted and executed right when I'm arrested. And Absolutely. I'm like... That, to me, is everything that's wrong with it. Absolutely. And if we are going to be arrested for doing wrong, as we should, as everyone should be, so should the police officers who do wrong. Amen. We don't have to convict them yet. We just need to arrest them, which I'm so thankful that happened. But I also want people to understand, unfortunately, something that happens in this society is that this happened It was seen. We all saw it. And yet nothing was done. They fired them. Yes, that's good. No arrests were made. It wasn't until people began to riot Mm -hmm. that they finally were willing to arrest them. And then they demonize people for rioting, yet you send this message. If you think about, if you understand behavioral therapy and reinforcement, you send a reinforcing message to the community. The only way we will hear you is if you riot. And when you do, we will demonize you. I am not in any way saying that it's right, but you have to understand how this behavior does get reinforced because otherwise we're not heard. Um, so your question was, so, so what do we do, right? The first very step is to be willing to look inside and look at that mirror. And it's very, very difficult but to be able to recognize your own racial bias. Everybody has it, even me. (laughs) 
in our society, because of the way our country started, because of the long history, it, all of our racism is internalized. Some people, of course, are more blatant and hold it consciously more strongly, but everyone holds it. Malcolm Gladwell, if you've ever read the, the book Blink, it's an excellent book, I would suggest you read it. They have done uh, studies, and there there's, have actually been some intention of trying to weed out racial bias in the police department. There have been studies that have, have tried to, and tests that have been developed to figure out subconscious racial bias, right? And they started to administer these tests to everybody to try to weed out people who have subconscious racial bias. Guess what? Everybody, everybody had it. Everybody has it. Mm -hmm. even black people. The test is not helpful because we all mm -hmm. have it. What I experienced as a child in my Christian church told me that my blackness is bad, that my blackness is not good enough. I learned that very early. I've tried and we continue to try as a community to tell, give ourselves messages and tell us things that counteract that. But it is still very much there. We all feel inferior. We all have our own internalized racism. And unfortunately, we also acted against ourselves in our communities. Lighter skin is better. Nicer hair lighter whatever not you know not as as curly hair is better and this goes back to slavery because in the slave days it was the lighter skinned black people that could work in the house they were more accepted they were treated better and so we have our own issues with that so my first point is the first thing that has to happen is that everybody has to be willing to put their hand up and say I have racial bias. I know it, and it's not okay, and I need to look at it and work on it. That's the first step. Okay. The second step is, now what am I going to do about it? Am I going to stand up when I see it? Am I going to be quiet? Am I going to be too worried that people are going to ostracize me? I am so proud of a group of, of women that I am associated with, psychologists, um, on Instagram. And we have banded together, and they are speaking out against racism, against um, everything that's going on right now, against really systematic racism in our organizations in our country. And they have lost followers, probably by the thousands now. Each of them, yep, I lost 300 followers today. I lost this. People are calling these women horrible words because they are standing up, white women. And so... Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Race, talking about it is uncomfortable and it's hard, but that's what we have to do. I don't even know what to say after that, Zoe, because there is such truth in it. There is such truth that we, we view one another through a prism that sometimes I don't think we even understand. That right. we, when I say, I, you know what, I have never said I want to be colorblind. I want to actually 
learn to do the opposite. And maybe I'm saying the wrong thing, you know, in this because I'm doing that a lot. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, I'm like, I want to look at that darkest, darkest skin and go, that is, oh, that is so lovely. And in fact, you don't wrinkle. You're going to look 65 when you're 85 and I'm going to look 85 at 65. Um, so I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate the differences of what we are rather than going hiding them rather than going, they make me uncomfortable or they make me nervous or they make me fearful. I want to shift it with all my heart. I want to shift it. Thank you. And you just said the right thing because I can't tell you how many of my white friends tell me, I don't see your color. And my first thought is, is that what you tell your white friends? Because of course you see my color. You don't ever feel the need to look at a white person and say, you know, I didn't notice you were white. And so I I'm want sorry, people- I'm laughing right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't need anybody to pretend that we're colorblind. I have a red car. I like it. I notice it. Right? I notice color in the world and it's beautiful and you notice it too. And if you pretend like you don't, then you are perpetuating the problem. I want you to notice my beautiful black skin. Yes. And I want us to, to honor it and glorify it because it's a creation of God, not try to pretend like we don't see it. So yes, thank you. First, we have to look in the mirror and recognize Mm -hmm. our own racial bias. Then we have to make a choice to do something about it. Is, is there another step? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> let, let me ask you this, Zoe. Um, and I, I, again, I want to make sure that I'm being sensitive because I have heard, don't come, you white people don't come rescue me. Okay. Don't, <laughs> and that makes me nervous. Okay. That makes me nervous. But I've also, my youngest daughter has worked in Title I schools, okay? Mm -hmm. And those are the failing schools that are failing these children that should not be failed, okay? Mm -hmm. She tells me awful stories about these kids who are so bright and so talented, and yet they are on a road to failure because of the circumstances they're in, and it breaks her heart. And her husband, who is a pastor started this organization at a church in Raleigh where they went in and people from their church started going once a week with a specific child that the principal said, this child could use your help. And mm-hmm. they tutored them every week. They took them out for lunch periodically. They, they built a relationship with these kids during their entire middle school. They started in sixth grade. They stayed with the same child since till eighth grade. So. There were retirees, there were college kids, there, there were a whole bunch. And mm-hmm. I'm like, can, can we do some things like that? Is that, what? where can we just little step in? And I, I agree, today we have to do the big declaration. But then when it's all over, because Zoe, I've seen it be all over a million times. Yes, it will be. What do we do then? What, what can we, especially as the faith community, we don't need to forget this time. We mm-hmm. need to go, all right, it's not over, and we're not going to walk away. What can we do next? What can we do to remember the hurt and try to heal? Yes. What, what I can tell you is that you need to continue to be dedicated to educating yourself. Mm-hmm. 
if you continue to read and you continue to try to understand, then you will see the bias everywhere, mostly, and you will have a natural inclination to do things when, when you see it pop up. That's the first thing. The second thing is you need to continue to do the work. You need to donate. You need to go into communities that do need help and help them. Now, let me tell you something about that whole, what did you say? Don't. Don't rescue say, me. Maybe? Yeah, we don't need a bunch of white people to rescue me. <laughs> don't rescue me, white people. Yeah. Okay, let me tell you where that comes from. That comes from an attitude that sometimes we feel from white people of, I'm helping you sorry little people, mm -hmm. and I feel really good about myself for doing this. And then I go back to my white community and I feel really good because I've done this little thing. Mm -hmm. When it comes from a different energy of, I'm in this because this matters to me, because this is a my problem, it's received very differently. Now, there is already resentment <laughs> on the, the, in, in the hearts of many black people when it comes to white people, because you can come into our communities, do a little help, and then go back and live your like, nice life, right? Mm -hmm. And I say our, because I don't live in that community. I'm going to be honest. I do live in a white community. I am privileged, but I'm, I'm letting you know how, you know, what the feeling is. And so even if you encounter that, I would encourage you to still press on. Mm -hmm. If you can understand where that feeling and emotion comes from, because part of it is going, do you really care about me? Or is this just a thing to make you feel better about living in your big, nice house? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. And when there is that feeling that, yes, you are in this with me and you really care about me, that resentment disappears. What I hear you saying is, if we're serious about it, then we have to take steps to step in. And when we encounter hurt from those we're trying to help and, and their, um, their anger and right. their um, years of not being heard, if, if they can't receive our desire to help the first one, two, 77 times, the Bible says, <laughs> that we still keep pressing in because it's not about us. Absolutely, yes. And, and I'll tell you, I have a friend who is a black woman and she has a lot of black of white friends and in this what is wonderful is that a lot of her white friends have reached out to her some who have never you know some who she's more acquaintances with doesn't see very often one particular woman who hasn't even returned her text in like a year and they reached out to her and said oh would you like to have lunch or you know would you like to talk and her response to me was, do I even want to talk to them so that they can feel better about themselves, that they've reached out and, you know, done this thing? Or, or should I even respond? And so there is that feeling of, do, do I need to appease you and make you feel better because, you know, you've done this thing? Or do you really want to have a conversation with me? I don't know if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And, you know, I hear you and I'm like, yeah, I've, I've probably done that. Um, and I think going back to step one is acknowledging that, that I've done that and that's wrong. And I, I need to, if I've learned anything from you, Zoe, just in our own <laughs> personal relationship, like step one is sitting in the feelings of, yeah. of owning where you are and grieving that. Um, and, and just sitting with that for, I feel like that's where I've been the last few days, just sitting in the grief of it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know that I'm ready to move on to the next step because I want to, I want to really honor the step of grieving it and owning it so that it's actually real. And it doesn't just go away when Lord willing, the riots stop. Right. So Zoe, this is a question that, um, I hope you can help us with. We mm-hmm. had this past week, we had the blackout Tuesday, the social media, um, I don't know even what to call it. Was it a campaign? Was it, um, uh, uh a stand, I'm not sure. Um, but at, tell me how it makes you feel when someone either says or doesn't say in a public way that Black Lives Matter, like with the hashtag, right? Like it has to be the hashtag, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I haven't paid attention to anyone. Well, that's not true. There are some people I have checked their feeds just to see. Are they saying anything or are they not? Does it matter to you if, especially your white friends, um, make a public proclamation of standing for black lives by saying hashtag black lives matter? Tell me, you know, kind of your, your perception of, do you need to see that to know that it's real or is it almost because this past week everyone's saying it? It is just kind of maybe walk me through kind of how you felt kind of looking through your social media feeds to see who's saying it, who's not saying it. Um, do you want us to say it now if we haven't said it before? I guess I'm personally kind of wrestling through that. Like, I don't think I'd ever said it before. Mm. And so this week I found myself, like I've said, I've, I've been convicted. I've been humbled. Um, and for me, it was a big deal to make a point to say that. And I guess I'm saying, as my black friend, is is that something that sends a good message to you? Or is there pain with that? What are your feelings there? So, yeah, my answer is yes, absolutely. We say a lot in our silence. We just do. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we say a lot in our words as well. And so having a white friend who says that means the world to me. Mm-hmm. So I can just tell you that I don't have to question how they feel. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to, to go, should I be quiet? Should I not say anything? I don't have, I don't have to think about it or wonder when they actually just say it. So yes, that means a lot to me. I can tell you that what means more to me, I don't know if it's more, but who I am holding very accountable, I should say, I won't say that it means more, but who I am holding very accountable in my life are the people in authority, are the people, are the organizations. I can tell you that I was listening with a hawk eye to my pastor. I go to an all-white church, and I was in a place of, if he doesn't, we are leaving. Because I'm not going to replicate what my parents did to me, you know? And so people who are in authority, I feel it is an absolute must. My friends, when they do it, it means the world to me and I don't have to question them. And I know that they stand with me. My friends who don't, honestly, I question. And I, I probably, I'm not gonna ask them about it, but it is a question in my mind. Yeah, that makes sense. I think especially, and I think we started this way, especially as people of faith, if we don't step, step up, who will? If we don't reach out, who will? It's not even an option for us if we're really seeking to follow God's word. It isn't. It's not an option. We are told to 
reconcile. We are told to be unified. We are told to seek justice. We are told to extend mercy. We are commanded to do all of those things. And I think finding out how and then not quitting. What you said is not quitting. And again, you know, I, I've I've seen riot this year, a few years. I've seen riot this year. I've seen riot right. another year. I've seen people talk about it. I've seen people make commitments to change. You know, let's, let's me, I'm going to say me, not walk away from this one and get busy in my world, in my life, and forget the pain that I need to continue to remember and recognize Mm-hmm. and be a part of the solution long-term, not just right. today, long-term. And you've probably heard that phrase, check your privilege, right? And so I would encourage everybody, this is mandatory, and this is something that I think is so important when it comes to race relations, is that whenever you hear something, whenever you hear something, check your privilege first which means instead of going, well, yeah, but, or he must have done this, or, or no, I'm sure that really wasn't what happened. I'm sure that's not really how people feel. When you respond to anyone with that, you have to understand that you are denying their existence. And so that is something that you can do whenever you are in relation and talking to somebody of color, you see something, even internally, check yourself first. Just because you don't want to believe it, just because you haven't experienced it, doesn't mean it isn't real. Yeah, I think we live in a yeah, but society. Yes. And that's a really good point, because it's easy to go, yeah, but look over here, yeah, but look over there. And we need to do just the opposite. We need to say, no, let's just look at what is right in front Mm -hmm. of our face. And, you know, trust that we will find truth if we really focus on what that is rather than trying to find another reason that it isn't. Mm -hmm. I know something that unifies, you know, the three of us um, is the fact that we all believe that ultimately Jesus is the solution to this problem. Yes. Um, and I think that as women of faith, we can put that band-aid statement out there without following it up with proper action. And so I think that that's what I want to call our audience to. Of course, Jesus is the answer, but he wants to use us to be a part of proclaiming that he is the answer and showing our love for him by loving all of his people in tangible and equal ways. I, I know that that's what he's he's speaking to me um, right now, and um, I think that's the message that we want to leave listeners with, that Jesus is ultimately the answer, and he commands us to love every single one of his people. Right, and to do something. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy for all of us, faith community, to say we're praying about it, and we should. We absolutely should. But we need to be the hands and feet, too. Yes. We need to not just be on our knees in prayer. We need to get off the ground and go walk and help and act. And I'm right there with Julie. Let's, let's find out what that is, and let's not quit until 
And, and I, I would love to say until it's all behind us, but humanity isn't that way. So until my very last breath, yes, may I fight for justice. May I fight for the the broken, the heart, the heartbroken, the weary, the the ones who are being harmed. May I do that until this life is over, whatever that looks like. Well, Zoe, I just want to say thank you again for um, for just bringing your voice back to this place. Um, it's, it's literally invaluable to us. So we appreciate that. And, and the thing is, is I think what we've just said is this is, this conversation cannot be over. Um, this episode maybe has to be over, (laughs) but the conversation (laughs) can't be over. And so I know something I'm really trying to do is figure out credible resources that I can devote my precious resource of time to so that I can effectively do better. Um, so do you have any resources that come to mind or, you know, can you help us build show notes that will be full of places we can go um, to further this conversation on, on our own time? I suggest everyone listening go to a website called brownicity.com. They are an organization that offers anti-racism education. They also have online courses and events. You can join their membership community, and you can actually enroll now for something called What Lies Between Us. It's a five-week virtual anti-racism education course led by Pastor Dan Barry, starting Tuesday, June 16th at 8 p.m. This is a great way to get started. I also encourage you to listen to Right Now Media, Tony Evans, T.D. Jakes, Ryan Lestrange, all of them are speaking out and there's a lot that you can learn from them. And I am doing a Instagram live on Friday, June 13th. If you go to my Insta, I'm sure I'll be announcing at some point. And we're just going to, I'm going to be talking with another woman about, um, how women, how we as mothers talk to our children um, about racism and the things that are going on in this world. But I encourage everybody to educate yourself, mm-hmm. read, listen, try to do it with the most open, non-defensive ears. Yeah. And just like Darlene said, and just like you said, Julie, don't stop. This can't stop when all of this goes away and the news is covering something else. Remember that this is still the existence um, this is still the experience of the black community, even if nobody talks about it. Absolutely. So if you're listening to this today, you'll have a chance to catch that Instagram live. But if you're catching it after the fact, go to the show notes and we will definitely have linked to a recording of that. Thank you so much, Zoe. I don't feel like thank you says enough, but we really appreciate you being here. I appreciate you in our lives and as part of Grit and Grace. Thank you. On this episode, I think this quote is a little bit long, but it is exactly what we need to say. And this is by Tony Evans. When the body of Christ comes together with one common purpose, we can change the world. We must work together across racial, cultural, and socioeconomical boundaries to spread the love and hope of Jesus Christ to a dying world. May we be a group of women who truly live out grit and grace today. Be sure to join us next week. We are bringing in American Idol's Colton Dixon, and not just him, his wife Annie will be joining us, and we're getting a behind-the-scenes look at their life. Thanks for listening to another episode of this Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by the Grit and Grace Project. Whether you're listening in Apple, Spotify, or streaming somewhere else, be sure to subscribe and review so you never miss an upcoming episode. You can also share this episode with a friend you think might enjoy living a grit and grace life with us or share us in your social media and tag us. 
Every week we share all the details of what we discussed at our website, gritandgracelife.com. We'll catch you on the next one.